Well, what I wanted to do today is just take you back for one week. In fact, you can open to the book of Ephesians. We'll start there, but I, I wanted to take just a week to take you back into that theme of spiritual gifts we've been expositing through the book of Ephesians, and that means we go uh, line by line, word by word, through this glorious epistle, and it's been so good, so enriching for my own heart as I come face to face with the doctrine of the local church all the way through the book of Ephesians. And you'll note and you'll remember, he said in 4.7 did Paul, but grace, Ephesians 4.7, was given to each one of us. And we just took a week last week on the ministry expo to kind of fill out a little bit the spiritual gifts. And I just want to take one more week to finish that list that we began, that we looked over in Romans chapter 12. You say, well, Scott, why do you go over to Romans chapter 12? Well, uh, the gifts and the list of gifts, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, they all are given um, to highlight the spiritual gifts. In this unit here in Ephesians 4, he talks about the spiritual leadership gifts, and we'll talk about that next week. So I, I'm beginning to take a selective scripture to walk you through the Word of God. Now remember, as, as we step into Ephesians 4, and even that phrase, grace was given to each of us, that the big picture here is not spiritual gifts. The big picture here is in 321, where Paul so clearly said to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. To God be the glory. And then flowing from that statement in 4, 1 through 16 is the theme of unity. So one of the ways that God is glorified and one of the ways that he's unified is the use of these spiritual gifts. Now what Paul did is he set forth a series really of for God to be glorified and compelling arguments here for the church to be unified. We looked first at the call to unity in the church and it's a worthy walk. In other words, the, the way that a church glorifies God and the way that a church is unified is you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that called you. In other words, even what I share today would be a mute point if you're not walking in a manner worthy of the calling. Then secondly, we looked at the character of unity. And we looked at those five virtues in verse 2, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so we said even before you can get to the topic of gifts, it begins with a body and a, and a church that possesses these types, manifests these type of of character qualities, and we noted there that it's not some outward show, it's not in some outward form, but they're inward, grace-filled, spirit-filled qualities of humility, 
thinking lowly, gentleness, power under control, patience that you have a long fuse and you're bearing with one another. And then from the call to unity, the character of unity, we went to the confession of unity. In other words, unity doesn't come at the expense of truth. It's bound in those seven ones that we looked at. And then we left off at the contributor of unity in the church. In fact, if you go back here, you'll notice this. This is where we pick up today. But grace was given to each one of us. Look at verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led hosts to captives, and he gave gifts to men. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets. So I think I'm just highlighting there the contributor to unity is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his victory on the cross, by victory of his resurrection, he ascended in that. And when he went to glory, he gave the gifts. So I want you to know that our church needs to glorify God. We need to be unified because Jesus Christ has supplied us with all that we need. Next week, we'll look at that he's given gifted leaders, specifically men, to proclaim the word of God. You know, just as we open up, we do have ministry commitments. Our members in the class are learning that now. There's 10 of them. And the 10th ministry commitment is, this is just the DNA of our lifeblood. You say, well, is it the doctrinal statement? No, the doctrinal statement is the doctrinal statement. But we have some core commitments that are part of us that kind of flow in the bloodstream. And the 10th ministry commitment is a commitment to corporate ministry. And what that 10th commitment says is that every believer is made for ministry. So watch this. You can't just come and sit. You're made for ministry. You have been given a place of service or outreach. And ministry is never. trained professionals and I'm gonna sit let that sit in because some of you have watched it happen in your local church for way too long 20 years 30 years and you're watching it when the truth is that God not only saved you by his grace but he gave you a gift that you would use it now we're talking about spiritual gifts let me read spiritual gift, okay? Um, it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1. Concerning, and Paul uses this there in 12, 1. Concerning spiritual gifts. And Paul said, I don't want you to be uninformed. And I would, that's my heart. I don't want you to be uninformed. That word gift, when he says concerning spiritual gifts, uh, the word gift is the Greek word charisma. Uh, uh, the charismatics use that word to speak of the spirit, but the truth is, as you sit here, if you're in Christ, you've been given a charisma. You've been given a, a gift, if, if you will. And then it's not just a gift, a charisma, it's spiritual. And the idea there is pneumatikos. Pneuma means spirit. And so you've been given a spiritual gift. You are to be characterized or controlled by the Spirit of God. Now, 
What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift, I like to call it a grace gift, is a supernatural gift given to serve God and others. And Paul here is not addressing natural talents, but he's addressing a unique, God-enabled, spirit-given gift to serve the body of Christ in such a way that he's glorified and our church is unified. Now, here's what I want to do with you today. Uh, What do you need to know about spiritual gifts, okay? What do you need to know about it? And then secondly, I'd like to finish the list that I started last week and didn't finish in, in time. So what do you need to know? Then secondly, I'd like to finish the list. And then thirdly, I want to give you just a, a means of how uh, you can know what you can identify your spiritual gift at the close of our time. And this is all for God's glory and our unity. Well, what do I need to know about spiritual gifts? Let me just rifle out here six truths from the scripture. Six truths from the scripture. And some of these I've touched on, but let me just frame it and form it and put it in a sequence for you. Number one is that every believer is supernaturally gifted by God. Every single one of you, if you're in Christ, has been given a grace gift. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, in Ephesians 4, 7, it says, but grace was given to each of us. To each of us. There's nobody, if you're in Christ, that are without a spiritual gift. So I don't want you to be uninformed. You have a gift. You have a responsibility. You need to serve in this place. You need to call your family to serve. You've been given a, a spiritual gift. And I say that, it's right there. You can underline that. A grace was given. He's not talking about saving grace. He already talked about that in Ephesians. But a spiritual gift, a grace gift, if you will, has been given to each of us. In fact, look over in the book of Romans, and you might want to keep your uh, finger both places in Ephesians and in Romans. But it says this in Romans 12. Three, Paul says, for by the grace, in Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, in other words, among you, not to think more highly of himself. Look down at the end of verse 3, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so Ephesians says, each of us, here, there's a measure that he has assigned. If you're in 1 Corinthians 12, glance down in 1 Corinthians, go over there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You just can't get away with this. You've been given a gift. You've been given a responsibility. It's fact that it says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, in 1211, who apportions to each one individually. There it is, individually. You've been given a, a grace gift. It says this in 1 Peter 4.10 at the next slide, as each, you, you understand I can't get away from it, it's all over. 
as E, you say, well, Scott, you mean me? Yeah, you. You say, well, I've never heard this. Well, I'm telling you. You've been given a gift, and you have a responsibility in this body. You say, why so? Because God's not going to be glorified, and the church isn't going to be unified apart from the active participation of you. So he says, as each, each believer has received a gift, this is the refrain, use it to serve one another as, goods, as good stewards of his multifaceted grace. I like that. You're a steward. Each of you, each of you have a responsibility, if you will, for that gift, okay? So you say, well, Scott, uh, maybe I don't have a gift. No, I just said you have a gift. So it's my belief, along with some others, that you have one dominant gift, and, and you have one dominant gift with shades of other gifts. And so you, you, sometimes we say the, the, the gifting is like a snowflake. There's no one snowflake that's all the same. We say that the gifting is like a fingerprint. There's no fingerprint that is the same. They're all uniquely different. The gifts are that way. You've been given a dominant gift, probably with shades of other gifts that come in, but the point would be is that you've been given uh, a gift, every single one of you. Secondly, secondly, not only has every believer been given a gift, but every believer is to use his or her own spiritual gift. You're to use your gift, and I'm just highlighting this from Romans 12, 6, it says, let us use them, <laughs> okay? Let us use them. I think it's in the New American Standard. Let us exercise them. In other words, let us, it's a command, use them. It does not say, hey, it's okay if you, I, I would like you to, if you would, would you, would you use your gift? Like, would you may use it? It's not what it says. It doesn't say in the word of God that you should use your gift. It actually says here that you let us command, use them, okay? I mean, certainly you would agree with me that the commands to, to not murder, to not commit adultery, we need to obey those. But is this a less likely gift that you can take or leave it? And I want to encourage you, okay? I'm just trying to encourage you, and many of you are, and so my heart's full with what you do, but our church needs all the participation of every one of you. It, and you say, why? Because you've been given a gift, and you need to use that gift for his glory. It says this in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it, <laughs> To serve one another as a good steward of that gift that he's given you. Each of you has a responsibility, as I do, to be a steward of the gift that God has given to you. And you are to exercise and use that gift, okay? Thirdly, okay, not only are you each gifted, but secondly, you need to use it. Thirdly, every believer is to use their own spiritual gift for the common good, so why are you saying that? Your gift is not for you. Your gift is not your own. Your gift isn't so you can glory in it. Your gift is for, not for you to hide it. 
your gift is not for you to run from it. You've been given a gift. Say when? When Christ ascended, when you came into Christ, he not only uh, saved you, but at that moment when he ascended and you got saved in time and space and history, he gave you a gift. And the reason he gave you that gift is for the common good. The, the, the scripture here is 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each, he has given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It is for the edification of others. In fact, I don't, I don't know if I have to tell you this, but there, the common good, common is the Greek word simpharo, simpharo, it's it's profitable, and we obviously get our English word symphony from it. But a symphony works when the conductor is leading and all the pieces of that orchestra are working in harmony with the conductor for the common good. And there's this sense in the body of Christ, our body won't be what it should be until you're working and laboring for the common good. When, when it uses that word manifestation there, it, the, the word manifestation just means to, to make clear. It's the idea of to make known. And so these spiritual gifts are used, are given to be manifested and exercised, not hidden and secluded. And they need to be used in the body for the common good of, of others. Some of you might be arguing with me right now. I don't know, pastor. Well, why? Why are you arguing with me? Why are you, maybe, arguing with the word of God? You say, I'm just here, I just sit. No, I'm telling you, he gave you a gift. And you need to be, and I need to be, a steward. Frankly, it's my prayer all the time that when I step before the Lord, I'd hear, well done, my good and faithful, what? Servant. I just, I want to be faithful to what he's discharged me and I want you to be able to help other believers for the common good. Number four, number four, that just flying high here, you're to use this gift in a spirit of humility. Use this gift in a spirit of humility. Usually every time you see a list of these gifts, humility's in the context. It's certainly here before us, before he tells us in 4.7, to each one of us, we've been given grace. It says in 4.2, with all humility. And so you're exercising this gift in humility. It says in Romans 12.3, by the grace... It's not talking about saving grace there. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, you exercise these spiritual gifts in a spirit of humility. In, in fact, Paul said there in 12.3, by the grace given to me, don't overthink yourself. In fact, in Romans 12.16, in that very context, it says live in harmony with one another. Do not, it says there, be haughty, not be high-minded, associate with the lowly, and never be wise in your own estimation. 
So beloved, as we use these gifts that God has graciously given to us, humility is at the forefront in these lists. Pride, of course, is its, its opposite. It's the first and the foremost of the seven deadly sins. In other words, where you come into the body and you might think of yourself as more important than another. You might even think, my gift is more important this gift, I'll gain popularity. I'm going to serve so that I'll be noticed, if you will. Or somehow my popularity will rise and I'll be seen to be in this type of position in the church. Or you use your gift. It could happen to anyone because you want them to see your ability. Look how God is using me. Or if you have the gift of giving that we talked about last week, you might think, look what I've given to this church, or you might even be tempted to think, look at my education. I have degrees. I'm smarter than most people. Listen, all I know is God's composed this body in such a way and has given to each a measure of faith, and and we're to operate this gift not as though we're something special, but to recognize that we need to operate not only in humility, but Romans 12, 3 says, so as to think with sound judgment. It just means to be sober-minded. It means to be level-headed. So don't overestimate your gift, but on the other hand, don't have such a false humility that you see yourself only as a worm with nothing to offer this church. He says, no, think with sound judgment. Maybe this is why Paul says in Galatians 6, 3, if anyone thinks, you know, in his mind that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And the greatest verse is 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not, what? Receive. Wherever your strength lies in this category of gifting, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, yes, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, if you've been given one of these gifts, and somewhere in here is the list, you need to use that gift. You need to exercise it in humility. Humility, listen, is not an overestimation of yourself. Nor is it an underestimation of yourself. It is rather an accurate estimation of what he's done. So these gifts are to be received with an attitude of humility. That's four. Number five, every believer, certainly this is true, has got to recognize the sovereignty of God in the giving of the gifts. In fact, when you look at Ephesians 4, 7, grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. God is sovereign. He's given you a gift. Sovereignly is the thought. In fact, it uses this word in Romans 12, 3. It speaks of the gifts. There it is. And I think I'm just looking at the last line of Romans 12, 3. Each according to the measure of faith that God has, what? assigned. I love that statement. God gave you a gift. 
you know, I mean, we had the ministry expo. It's okay to sign up, and we want to facilitate those things. But he already sovereignly made you who you are. He already sovereignly placed the Holy Spirit and a spiritual gift, at least one dominant gift, in your heart. And he sovereignly assigned that. In fact, does this come up on Romans 12, 6? I might have taken that, taken that out, but it says there in 12, 6 that we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So God's placed you in this body sovereignly, and he's given you even different gifts sovereignty. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it's speaking there the gifts. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit um, who apportions to each one individually, what does it say? As he wills. Say, what, what are you talking about, Scott? Well, he gave you a gift. He put a gift inside you. And he did it as he wills. You say, well, I don't like my gift. And I would say, stop being disobedient to the Lord. He gave you a gift because he knew, the, the, he knew that you'd be in this body. And he made you and placed a spirit-enabled gift in you for you to use in this body. In fact, these spiritual gifts are sovereignly given. You can't return your gift. You can't return your gift of mercy that we'll look at in a moment and say, I wish I had one of those upfront gifts of teaching and leadership. No, 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 listen. He put something in my heart. I'm trying to do what God enabled me to do. But I praise God for those in our body whom he's made servants so that you can make everything operate in the life of this church. But he's sovereignly, if you will, dispensed those. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, there it is. But as it is, God arranged you, the members in the body, each one of them as he, what? He chose. We say, well, Scott, I've never thought about it that way. I'm just kind of checking some things out. Well, that may be true, but I just want you to know he chose you. He assigned you with something. He endowed you with some gift. He puts some manifestation of the Spirit in you for the common good. And I'm not, some of you are brand new and our church is new. I know that. But I'm just, I'm looking at this so that you might know as you grow, what is it that God wants to do in your life? In fact, in Romans 12, 3, it says that God has assigned, he said, a measure of faith. I don't think I have that one up there. It's a measure of faith that God has assigned, Romans 12, 3. You say, what does that mean? Well, he's just overcoming if you're thinking, like, I don't know. No, he's not only giving you a gift in his sovereignty, but he's assigned you a measure of faith, it says, that he's assigned. Well, you say, what do you mean a measure of faith? Well, uh, it's not saving faith there in Romans 12. Uh, Andy read from Romans 8. Paul talked about justification in Romans 3 and 4. Here he's talking about a measure of faith that God assigned. It's not saving faith. That's not measured out differently. That looks the same for all of us. Here Paul is referring to the kind of faith that it takes to operate your gift. 
So what do you mean, Scott? He's going to give you the necessary faith. He's going to give you the necessary insight. He's going to give you the necessary comprehension to use your gift. So God has sovereignly given every believer a gift. Number six, and the final one, every believer must understand both the unity and the diversity of the gifts. You've got to understand the unity and the diversity of the spiritual gift. Maybe I'll begin with diversity. Paul, or yeah, in Romans 12, he says, as for, he says of one body, there's unity. He said, we have many members, there's diversity. The members, you, do not all have the same function, just like in a body. So we, though we are one body in Christ, we're individually members of one another. He's just comparing in Romans 12, the physical body to the spiritual body. And he's saying here first, there is a diversity of gifts. He says, all do not have the same function. Praise the Lord. We're all made so different, so unique. There's no spiritual gifting that's all the same, a dominant gift, but you have shades of other gifts, and we all don't have the same function. He even says in Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So we don't have the same function. We have gifts that are different. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, the body doesn't consist of one member. It has many uh, members is the thought. So listen, he's sovereignly given a diversity of the gifts. You know, it's interesting that the gifts are spoken about in 1 Corinthians 12. And they, of course, were enamored with certain gifts. You say they were? Well, yeah, I think you remember. Some people said, listen, I don't know who you're following, but I'm following the apostle Paul. And then people said, you may follow the apostle Paul, but I'm following that great preacher. His name is Apollos. Then others said, you know what? Uh, You guys are both wrong. I'm following, this is in Corinthians, Cephas. I'm following Peter. He's the one that I need to mark my life. And then the real spiritual ones said, hey, listen, I'm one up on you. I'm not following Paul. I'm not following Apollos. I'm not following Cephas. I am a follower of Christ. And and even in that statement, they were trying to one up each other. And it seems that everyone wanted a gift that someone else had. And so here is this thought. God's doled these gifts out sovereignly to reflect the diversity in this body. Of course, you're reminded of 1 Corinthians 12 here, speaking of a physical body, but we understand the analogy. If the foot should say, the foot, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would, make it, would, it, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body, remember when Paul gives that analogy, were just an eye, imagine that. Where would the, he says, the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were just one big ear, where would the sense of, uh, you know, be the sense of smell? And he says in 1222, on the contrary, The parts of the body, look at that, that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. So listen, you may think, 
uh, what can I do? Well, you can pray. You say, what can I do? You can serve. If you have the gift of mercy, you need to put that in operation. So there's both diversity, there's unity, and the unity is seen that there's many parts in the body, 1 Corinthians 12, 20, but it's one body. So this is what he's doing in in the life of our body. So every believer is supernaturally gifted by God. Every believer is responsible to use that gift. Every believer is to use that gift for the common, use his or her own gift in humility. And you must, number five, recognize the sovereignty of God and the giving of gifts and that every believer needs to understand both diversity and the unity of the gifts. You say, well, what are the gifts? Well, and look back now specifically to Romans 12. We talked about the seven gifts that are listed. I worked through the first five last week. Prophecy to speak forth. Service, you have a desire to serve and wait upon others. Thirdly was teaching. You want to teach the word of God in a didactic, even systematic way in which the word of God becomes clear. Fourth was the gift of exhortation that either would bring a warning that would bring an encouragement to someone. And then we left off at the gift of giving. In other words, and I think you understand when it says giving there, when it talks there in uh, the one who contributes in his generosity, in his or her generosity... It's all of us are to give. We understand that. Those are a command of the Lord. But some unique men and women have been given this spiritual gift. They have utter joy in giving away their resources. In fact, they're just so thankful that God uses them with their gift. And they have no greater delight than to give their resources to the Lord's work. Well, you listen on the... the website if you need to, but that's all listed there. And I bring you before the final two. It's the gift of leadership and it's the gift of mercy. You say, what do you mean? I'll say gift number six. It says there in verse eight, look at it with me. It says in verse eight, it says that the one who leads with, he said, zeal. Now you say, Scott, what is this gift? Well, it's a gift, for sure. It, it just, it's the, it's the word, I don't know, I like words, proistemi in the Greek, it's it, he who leads. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it's the word, it's very close to the, another gift in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. But to lead is to stand before others is what the word means. It means to stand before others, thus to lead. It's the ideal of to manage, which means to lead, if you will. It's the ideal of being in charge, and obviously with a spirit of humility. And it's the ideal of overseeing. All of that goes into that gift and what is this gift? Well, it is, it is the spiritual gift of organi- organizing, motivating people to accomplish a goal. It is, I would say it this way, the ability to lead so that the right path is steered and that the project itself is seen through. 
sometimes this particular man or woman can not only steer the right path, but they can finish the project so that it's seen through. Obviously, if you want to look later on, Jethro had this gift in Exodus 18. Moses himself was burning out. He was standing before the people all day, millions, and then the people that came to him for, for wisdom. And what Jethro did said, you're going to burn out both the people and yourself. And so what Jethro told him to do is he defined the role He defined the character. He defined the responsibility to Moses so that he wouldn't burn out and so that he wouldn't burn out the people. Classic leader is Jethro. Now, obviously, elders have to have this. I don't know if it's so much a gift, but it comes out in their shepherding where it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, appreciate those who diligently labor among you. And then it uses that word there, who, 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 it says, who are over you. There's our word, over. In, the, in another translation, it says, who have charge over you in the Lord. So there's got to be an element of this, maybe a shade in all of the elders. It says this in 2 Timothy 5.17, which is not on the screen, that the elders who rule, and then it puts an adjective next to it, well. In other words, all elders have a sphere of rulership, but some rule well. They need to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So there, that, that very phrase, who rule, is the ideal of an elder, and we'll talk much more on this next week. They rule, they lead, if you will, okay? Uh, the, the elder must be one who, and it says both for elders and deacons, must be one who manages, I don't know if I have that one, manages, it says, his own household well, keeping his children under control. So there has to be a sphere of that, but I don't believe that's only in elders or pastors, In fact, the truth is, let me say it this way, some pastors, some leaders are gifted teachers, they're gifted shepherds, not every elder is bound with this gift. You say, well, why did I say that? Because some of you might have this gift. It's listed in Romans 12.8, and certainly all of us need to keep the church on course, operating with fairness and wisdom, efficiency, and humility. Now, let me show you something that's here. Look at it again in 12.8. It says, the one who leads with what? Zeal. In, in other words, the one who leads, the ideal of the word here is with zest. In, in fact, you could even translate it, boil over. That the man or woman who has this particular gift doesn't need to hold back. And some of you are. (laughs) Some of you define this and you hold back a little bit. And what Paul is saying, oh, no, 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 no. You need to put forth an effort. You need to do it with zest. 
You need to do it with zeal. You need to boil over. And when you see a need, you need to help the church. You say, what are the characteristics of leadership? Let me just, I don't have this up. You could ask for my notes during the week. It's an, this man or woman is able to visualize the goal and mobilize people towards the objective. Visualize the goal and mobilize people towards the objective. What it means, you say, well, Scott, that's not me. Well, praise the Lord. Because there's some people who have this gift. You have the ability to analyze even the abilities of others and utilize their talents, their gifts, in appropriate ways. Sometimes a leader just knows where someone's strength and weakness is. You have a decision-making ability in resolving issues and a determination uh, to withstand criticism and even conflict. You say, oh, that's not me. Well, that's okay. But you show me a man or a woman, they could all lead the path and even at that point withstand criticism and even conflict because they got their eyes set on the objective. They have the ability to know what uh, should and should not be delegated to others. You say, is that important? Yeah, that's huge. It's huge. In other words, they know what to give away and they know what not to give away. In fact, here's another characteristic. They greatly enjoy helping others become more efficient in their area of designated responsibility. They they just want to be more efficient, okay? They have the ability, I think I mentioned this, to see the overall picture and clarify long-range goals. It's just true of these type of people. They're sometimes looked to for direction in a group situation when tension turns to stress. What do you mean? You just kind of look at them. And you're sitting there and you might think, yeah, that is me. And do you understand why Paul said to do it with zeal and boil over? Because when you have an innate gift that somehow comes back to you, when you have this gift, somehow they're going to look to you and they're going to turn to you and stress Sometimes there's a tendency to assume responsibility if no leadership exists. In other words, you just kind of bubble up. And you might be saying to me, certainly not all of you, yeah, I don't like that gift. Tough. He gave you the gift. And you need to do it with zeal. You need to do it with zest. You need to do it, the word is spude. You need to do it. Sometimes the fulfillment they have in seeing all the pieces come together and others enjoy the finished product. There's a desire even at that point after the the, the finished product to move on to a new challenge when they just accomplish that task. You say, hey, that's me. Well, we, we need you. We need you in this church. Is there misunderstandings to this gift? Yes. The neglect in explaining why tasks must be done may prompt other workers to feel that they're misused. Sometimes leaders are just out there, and then the worker, the worker bee, just feels misused. And it's not that they're misused, as you just at times don't feel cared for because this man or woman is seeing the big picture. Sometimes there's a misunderstanding of viewing people, leaders can do this, as resources, and it may appear to some that the project is more important than the people. And that's not necessarily true. They might want to be pushing the project. They don't want to forget you, and a leader needs to be careful of that. 
Sometimes even their desire to complete tasks swiftly may appear to be insensitivity to the weariness or the priorities of the other workers. It's true. They're just, they're on a, they're on a mission. And um, so let me ask you, do you find an enjoyment in seeing a successful operation and activity? Do, do you see beyond the activity's surface and focus on the broader picture and tend to make everything fit? Do you have discernment of people's needs even, maybe their gifts, their goals, their desires, and the plans necessary to accomplish them? Listen, I just want to say, if that's you, we need you. You say, well, you got a group of elders. Yeah, we have a group of elders that teach, that shepherd, but not all elders have this unique gift. It could be in a lay capacity, okay? In other words, you may have this gift more than one of the men on our staff. Say, oh, don't say that. Well, why shouldn't I say that? Let's let the pastors be pastors. Let's let the teachers teach. We might need some of you men and women to help us. And the last one is to show mercy. And we're all done here. To show mercy. What is mercy? It's, <laughs> this is an amazing gift. It's so unique, set next to the gift of leadership. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy is compassion towards the hurting it is compassion towards those in trial. It is compassion towards the handicapped. It may even be compassion towards orphans or widows or the sick or dying. Now you say, well, Scott, how is mercy a gift? Aren't we all supposed to show mercy? Oh, yeah. All of us are to show mercy. All of us are to give all of us in some ways teach, but the truth is, is some of you have been spiritually gifted sovereignly by God, some in teaching, some in leadership, and some of you have this gift of mercy. Jesus had this gift, but you heard me say last week, he had every gift. You say, what is it? It is the ability, maybe I should change this word, it is the ability to feel, I don't like that word, but you know how I mean it, an atmosphere of joy or distress in an individual or group. Maybe there's a better word to feel the, in other words, God wired you, spiritually gifted you and enabled you, and you can show mercy where a leader might walk right past that person but you, you I, I think I put feel it because the, the word where Jesus had compassion, it means to feel it in his soul. You have an attraction uh, to an understanding of people who are in distress. In other words, it's not only that you can see it, but you identify with them. You are even vulnerable. I don't maybe there's a better word, to others hurt, created by a lack of love that other people don't show. You have a desire to alleviate hurts and bring healing to other people. In fact, it even gets to the point that you have a closing of your spirit 
to those who are insensitive to the needs of others. In fact, what you see so clearly, you want to know why nobody else feels that way. And this could be you. You want to know if you could feel that hurt or that compassion. That's a biblical word. Why doesn't everybody see it like that? Hey, listen, you may have been given this spiritual gift sovereignly, and we need your gift. Listen, we need leaders, but we also need the gift of mercy. So there it is. You may even appear mercy. I'm trying to help you understand this. You may appear to be insensitive or callous due to a strong drive uh, towards the, the needs of people. What, what, what I mean by that is, is you may be affected personally by identifying personally with other people's problems. Say, hey, that is kind of me. In other words, you don't just see it. You don't just have mercy in your bowels, which we're all to express, but you, uh, you're identifying with people. Do you understand? Look at the list again in 12.8, why he said this at the end, that the one who, who does acts of mercy, it almost doesn't make any sense, comma, with what? Cheerfulness. You say, why would he say that? Because here you go again, just as the Lord's used you to enter into the pain and the hurts and the difficulties, and you help them and encourage them, and around the corner comes another one. And because you're going to uniquely see what other people don't see, he's saying, if you have that gift, do it with cheerfulness. So here, is there a misunderstanding to this gift? Yes. Sometimes avoidance of firmness may appear to be weakness. You say, what do you mean by that? It may appear... It may appear, and I'd say you might misunderstand people, it, it may appear that their lack of firmness appears as weakness. And that's probably because some of you have the gift of exhortation. And you're like, this person needs to be lit up. <laughs> and somebody with the gift of mercy says, oh no, I just, I want to put my arm around them. Secondly, misunderstanding, the sensitivity to the feelings of others may cause some to feel that they are guided by emotions rather than logic. In other words, hey, that guy doesn't see this. How could he be so caring to this person? This person has blown it time and time again. Listen, it's not that they don't want to bear truth, but they do want to come alongside other people. So listen, you may have the gift of... uh, of uh, prophecy in the sense of speaking forth. You may have the gift of exhortation, but all I know is if you have this gift of mercy, we need you, and, um, and you need to employ it and put it into practice. There's more to say there, but listen, hasn't God designed this body in the most creative, unique way? And listen, I just, I want to tell you, all the gifts are right here that we need to glorify God. Those are the seven, and there's more. Um, And so let me finish with this, the next slide. You say, how do I then identify my gift? I'll just be brief here. I think it's in the booklet last week. Number one, present your body and your mind to the Lord. So why do I say that? Because Romans 12, three through eight, 
comes after Romans 12, 1 and 2. Listen, if you want to know what your gift is, you take your total being, your total self, your total body, and you present it to God as a living and holy sacrifice. You make sure that you're not conformed to this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Secondly, all believers are gifted. We, we talked about that. Thirdly, here's the key passages. I took you through the seven gifts in Romans 12. There's another list in Corinthians 12. There's another brief list in 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. Read those key passages, okay? You say, well, Scott, is it really that important to, to, to do all this for my gifting? Maybe you're, maybe you're asking that. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a lot. You say, Scott, if I just love God and love people, will this work? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to make more of this. We're going to finish here on the second week. If you just love God and love people, and if you're walking in the Spirit, your gift's going to come out. I get that, but I don't want you to be uninformed. Number four, do you just pray? Lord, what would you have me do? And when you're praying, just ask this question. What gives me the most joy? What, 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 what way has the Spirit enabled me as I pray, as I serve? What gives me joy but pray? Number five, examine your desire. Examine your motive. I don't mean to get so introspective there, but um, I just think I'm just trying to say, why do you do what you want to do and where is he gifted you? Number six, just get involved in the body. You might not, you might not have a full understanding even as I speak. That's okay. Just get involved. You can try some different things, serve at some different places. That's okay. I think it will become more clear as you get older and more mature. Number seven, seek confirmation from others. Do you ask the leaders in your life, the people in your life, well, hey, how do I, how do I put this together? Who, who, what would you say when, when I'm serving? Where's the, the, the fruit of my ministry? And that's number eight. Look for the blessing from God. When you're there and when you're in motion and when you're operating in your gift, it's going to give you great joy. And you know what? There's going to be fruit there when you do that. And so look for those opportunities. But listen, I love this church. You're here worshiping with us. Can you imagine, I like to say this, what this place would be if every one of you were using and operating in your sphere of giftedness? You, you might even say to me, hey, Scott, there's other lists and you didn't mention my gift. Yeah, that's true. What do you want to do? Where, where do you want to go with it? In fact, it pains my heart, like, and doesn't mean it's not happening. I don't have a leader, a leader, man, woman, for James 127 ministry on widows and orphans. There's no name on it on our flow chart. And you say, well, hey, I, I love widows and I love orphans. Well, let, uh, let me know, let Blake know, let Matt know. We'd love to fulfill that. You say, but Scott, my real heart is this. Well, what is it? And how can we help you do it? Okay? How can we help you? Even if I didn't list it or you're a shade different than the gifting. Listen, listen. He's given us something. I just know when I stand before the Lord, I want to be faithful. I, I just know when I, I think I was 55 a few years back and 
this building was built, I just prayed, Lord, help me be faithful to my people with the discharge of the ministry of the Word of God. So I'm doing it to the best that I know I can, and I, I think you've been given a gift to serve in that place.